as we transition into this word, don't let go of what God's doing in this moment. God's going to do something more, more than what he's doing right now. And I really had two confirmations today about this word. And one was a word that was given about hitting the mark. And then as we prayed for Sandy, she said she felt her back shift. And I heard the Lord say he's realigning, realigning. If you'd make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to be in verse 3. And as I'm, as I'm learning, really, how to flow in the spirit and flow with God and just be obedient to him. I mean, that's an everyday process and we learn more each day. I used to think when we get these high times of worship, you know, I was like, oh man, we, that's, this is where we're supposed to stay sometimes, you know, and it's very easy to get to that place because the presence of God, it just feels so good, Amen. <laughs> right? Amen. It just feels so good. And the Lord, he's just like, well, I, I send that crescendo. Or I, I get you to that place because I want you to go higher and I want you to build. You know, I, I feel the presence still so strong, so strong upon me. And it's a beautiful, beautiful moment when Jesus comes down and he kisses us. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Let nothing distract you in this moment. Let nothing distract you from what God wants to do in your life tonight. You might have had a hard week, but I'm telling you, tonight is a night where you can get a real breakthrough. If you haven't already got it through worship, I mean, I got it just praying for people. I am, I'm pretty ruined up here. And you guys are probably like, Shane, you're always ruined when you get up there. <laughs> and that's a great place, and I never want to get in that. I never want to take that for granted of how easy it is to be undone by Jesus. I never want my heart to get hardened to that. I want my heart to remain soft to the things of the Lord, and when he comes, I want to honor him. I want to talk to you tonight about the battlefield of your mind. One of the most essential things of deliverance, or I should say staying free after deliverance is having a renewed mind or having the proper mindset. You can hear a word from the Lord 
But if you don't have the proper mindset or come into the proper agreement or the understanding of that, a lot of times that word, it, it gets forgotten. Or even in times of trials and persecutions, when there's a tax on the mind, and if I could just kind of talk about like to, the today's culture, there's such a fight for your decision. There's such a fight for your attention. There's a war of your attention. There's a war for what your eyes look at. There's a war for what you're entertained by. There's a war for what you meditate on. There's a war for what you watch. There's a war for what you read. There's a war of what you think on. There's a war of what goes in your heart. And what affects your mind, what you allow to influence your mind will ultimately affect your heart. I want to read some quotes that I found, you know, browsing this when the Lord gave me, uh, well, I felt like the Lord gave me this word, and I'm, I'm going to roll with it. So, but I, I looked up some just, just some things looking about the renewed mind. And this one's from Watchman Nee. It says, the mind is the battlefield, and Satan rages against us with lies and deception. But we have the victory in Christ. And we can renew our minds with the truth of God's word. This one's from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The renewing of our minds is not an instantaneous transformation, but a lifelong process. And we must give ourselves to it if we ever hope to see the fruit of Christ's redemption in our lives. That's a powerful word. And I'll say this one's probably my favorite from A.W. Tozier. He says, we cannot think one thing and will another. The single act of willing starts a train, chain reaction that affects our entire thinking process. Renewing the mind is not a matter of learning new ideas, but of willing to believe what we already know. I want to read that again because I felt like that kind of just passed by some people. We cannot think one thing and will another. In other words, you can't think one thing and do another. James says that's a double-minded man, and he's unstable in all his ways, right? We cannot think one thing and will another. The single act of willing starts a chain reaction that, are, that affects our entire thinking process. Renewing the mind is not a matter of learning new ideas, but of willing to believe what we already know. And what we already know, obviously, should be based on what the Word of God says. The most important part of stepping into this next season and partnering with the Lord to save this nation is simply to do it with the right mindset. We know God wants to save this nation. We know God wants to use the ecclesia to save this nation through the prayers, through the mighty acts of God that's used by the anointing of the Holy Ghost through God's people. But God's people have to come into an understanding, understanding meaning coming under what God is saying and standing under it for that to take effect. We know God wants to use us to save our nation, right? By knowing that, we should seek the Lord on how he would use us individually throughout our spheres of influence and throughout our daily walk 
And we should be actively seeking the Lord's voice and hearing that and then also obeying that. And it takes a step of faith sometimes. And we can always start right in the grocery store. We can always start by our neighbor. We can always start down the street when we're taking our nightly walks. I'm trying to come under an under a conviction that certain people, when I come across them, they're not just placed there by coincidence. And I try to seek the Lord for a right word to hit the mark in that moment to reveal the Father's heart. It's not always going to be me preaching a three-point sermon right on the street of Sarasota and this person falling and giving their life to Jesus. But it could be a word that God uses as a seed, then sends somebody else to water it, and that seed manifests into the redemptive fruit of Christ. We're all waiting for this big event to just break out. I, I mean, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for the bowls to be flipped over and awakening a revival to push right through and we're, we're taking this thing by the horns and we're marching forward. And I'm also considering the fact that God's been in the process of doing this maybe three and a half years since 2020. And there's like a crescendo that's going to finally come, but how do we, or I should say, how do I, how do I come unto what God wants to do through my life and use my influence for his glory. How do I do that now? And it starts with having the renewed mind that God wants to do it now. Many of us are very aware of what Dutch has released about June, July, and August having a supernatural grace on it for September, right? And I believe all words of prophecy should be tested and me personally, I feel like that's a word from the Lord. But I want to start right now. God, how, how do I, how does Shane Tenney come under the agreement of your will and your word and what you want to do? How do I hit the mark? I've really soul searched, like, what type of man do I want to be? What type of, what type of legacy do I want to leave in the earth you know, what, what, do I want, what do I want to leave? And, and the answer is, I, I want to leave a legacy that people know Jesus. I don't want them to be like Shane Tenney did this, Shane Tenney did that. I just want Jesus to be glorified and exemplified through me. And it starts with the right mindset. To partner with the Lord is to agree with the Lord. To agree with the Lord means to submit yourself to the understanding of what his plan is and this this starts in the mind. Before I get in this passage, Paul in this passage tells the truth about the conflict against the gospel and against those who obey it. Before given this revelation, he tells about the accusations of the false teachers of those who oppose the word of the Lord. But then he shifts the focus from people to the devils. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And I'm going to take this step by step, break this down a little bit, but even though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So Paul is, he's shifting 
the accusations that these false teachers are giving against him, he shifts it and he said, man, our weapons, even though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to our flesh, right? Because Ephesians 6.12, he says, the weapons are of our warfare. I mean, he says, uh, for we, I think I just flipped the scriptures around. Lord Jesus. <laughs> so 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, even though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Ephesians 6.12 says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness, principalities, right? Against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So Paul relates, he says what the actual fight is against. It's not against people, but it's against demons, against devils. Now, yes, there's some people that have some attitude issues that need to be adjusted. I don't want to take away from the responsibility of a person to keep his emotions and his, his sinful lifestyle in check. But if we look at the landscape of America, we're past human depravity, and we have entered into a demonic agenda that is trying to overreach and subdue the nation of America. Our battle is not against people. So this phrase came into my mind. It said to effectively hit the target, you have to know what or who in this case is the real target. So you have to point your guns in the right direction. Amen, Doug? Amen. <laughs> to be able to effectively fight... You have to know your opponent. To effectively fight and to hit the target, you have to have the target in sight. You have to know what you're shooting at. You can't just shoot in the dark and expect to hit what you're aiming at if you can't see it or if you're, or if you're misguided and you don't know exactly where you're shooting. Paul tells this revelation about we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against Wickedness, principalities, and powers in the heavenly places. So in our warfare, as a church, as the ecclesia, as the legislative branch of heaven, in our warfare, our guns, our spiritual machine guns, our words, our prayers, our declarations should be released in the spirit to tear down those strongholds, to cripple the enemy, right? To bruise his head. To rip down those things out of the spirit and over people's lives. He tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, and I, I quote this, this scripture so often. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 and 11. It says, to the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. To the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul, all throughout his writings, he tells that your battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the devils. It's against wickedness. And then he talks about the church's assignment. The reason why the church is in the earth is to declare the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and the powers that are in the heavenly places. That's changed my life. Your declarations, 
Your decrees, when, when you're stating those, when you're giving those, there's power in that. You have, to, you have to have the right mindset to put your faith to that, to believe that what you're declaring, it isn't just a word salad going up into the atmosphere, falling on deaf ears. Your words have purpose. Your words have power. They're rooted in faith. They're rooted in the blood of Christ. And when the ecclesia speaks, I'm telling you, hell trembles. Paul knew this. And he warned, and all through his writings, he warns the churches that he had apostolic authority over about this very thing. And we can take a lesson from this right here in America right now. Even in this crossroads moment that the nation is in, is we're in a fight. That's why he tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Friend, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to contend. You're going to have to gird up. You're going to have to say enough's enough. You're going to finally have to take a stand against the wickedness, and you're going to say not no more. And if we collectively do this, if we collectively do this, there's a broader, a broader effect of it. If individually we stop tolerating foolishness and wickedness, and whatever sphere we're in, whether it's at your job, whether it's at your home, in your home. He has given the church power and authority to decree a word, especially when it's in agreement with the word of the Lord, to decree that word and to bring down these strongholds and, and these delusions. These high altars that principalities have set up that have caused a delusion over a people. And friend, it's even in church. What we say church, I believe the church is the body of Christ, but it's in congregations. We're in a moment in America, you're going to have to make up your mind of who you really are and who you serve. So he says our weapons are not carnal, but mighty in God. That word weapons is hoplon, which is translated elsewhere as the armor of light and righteousness. So it's an armor. Paul uses this in spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6 about stand, put on the armor of God. It's an armor of light and righteousness. When the light turns on, the darkness flees. The light exposes darkness. And the light of men is Christ. And the Son of Righteousness has risen, and there's healing in his wings. The Lord is not going to allow the wickedness to go unpunished in this nation, but he's shining the light, and he's using his ecclesia to do it. So when we put on the armor, that's when we stand in the Word of God. That's when we pray. That's when we fast. Put on your armor. Stand fast. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down the strongholds. I'm a big believer of the Second Amendment. I'm a practicing American of the Second Amendment. But I can tell you, the nine iron on my hip is ineffective to devils in spiritual places. 
I can't shoot Satan in the head with my nine. You have to speak the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is our weapon. The word of the Lord is our weapon. The grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness, that's how we put on the armor of God. And we stand in the light and the righteousness of him. When we stand in God, when we stand in Christ, when we stand in the blood, there is no wicked thing that can touch you. There is no vile, evil spirit that can knock you off guard when you are standing and rooted in the living Son of God. There is nothing in this world. But you have to have the right mindset for that. You have to believe that. We read the scriptures and often we quote the scriptures, but we don't believe the scriptures. You got to believe the word till the word becomes part of you. When God says he writes his laws on the tablet of your heart, that's not just God being poetic in the scriptures. God's writing the word on your heart. As he wrote on the tablets of stone when he gave the law, as the spirit of God descended in Acts 2, he wrote the law of God on their hearts. When you gave your life to Jesus, he sealed you with the spirit of God and he wrote his law on your heart. You became a living testimony, a living word of Christ's redemption, of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the lamb the word of our testimony to speak a word you have to speak for them to hear the word you got to speak interestingly enough when he's using that scripture John quotes that as he's talking about the antichrist speak the word the word of truth is our number one weapon. When we use the word of truth, it demobilizes the enemy. When we use the word of truth, it cripples the enemy. When we use the word of truth, as we speak the word of truth, it confuses the enemy. The enemy cannot hear the word of truth when it's mixed with faith. He can't stand it. He can't, he can't come underneath it because he's the father of lies. And the father of lies is speaking. America is being given away to captivity and to the devil and the nation's his. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. God is saving this nation. God is raising up an army of his mighty ecclesia that is going to stand underneath his word and speak it. It says strongholds in the mind, they're established when the enemy plants a seed in your mind that you let take root. Strongholds are established when you believe the lie. Strongholds, this is a picture Paul uses as a tower being built. A tower in wartime is where the enemies would hide and they would shoot their weapons, but they would hide behind that fortress. When a stronghold is established in in a believer's mind, it cripples him. Because what it does is it produces a lack of faith. And the reason why it produces a lack of faith is because there's a lack of understanding. Because they're more focused on themselves than they are the Lord. When a lie comes in, this is something you, you have to understand. That not every thought that comes into your mind is from you. 
That's why Paul used in Ephesians 6 about the fiery darts of the enemy. The fiery darts is the enemy speaking lies and, and is being shot towards you. What you do is you just don't believe the lie. Nope, that, that thought is not for me. I bring that into the subjection of the word of the Lord and I, I toss that out. When you give your heart to the Lord, Satan can't have it. That's why he battles over your mind. And you have to choose what you're going to meditate on. You have to choose what you're going to believe. You're going to have to choose. God said, choose this day, life or death, in Deuteronomy. Joshua said, choose this day, who you're going to serve. As me and my house, we're going to serve the living God. So we're in a day where you're just going to have to choose. These strongholds in the mind, as these thoughts come in, they could be the lie of who you really are in Christ. The enemy could come right in and be and that's the, that's. That's the number one objective of the enemy is for him to make you doubt how much your father loves you. Because our salvation was established by love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? In Revelation, when Jesus comes back, he removes everything that offends God's love. So he first comes in, he tries to sow, sow, doubt, doubt, sow, sow doubt in your mind that God loves you. And when you believe that lie, you don't step into your identity as a born-again believer, the one who Jesus died for, the one who shed his blood for you. You don't step into that in full faith, and then there's a lack of authority because there's a lack of faith. Are you guys catching this? It could be have a stronghold of sickness. I've seen people that's had a history of sickness in their family, and they're so afraid it's rooted in fear, and actually lies are rooted in fear. But they, would, they just think just because their grandfather had it and their mother had it and their dad had it that they're going to get it. And if you don't think Satan knows your family history... See, Satan doesn't just sit there and, and go for the little blows. He goes straight for the throat. So he'll sow doubt in your mind. You're going to get sick. God doesn't heal today. And that's one of the most fallacies that I've ever heard, heard preached from a pulpit is God doesn't heal today. God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. But there's a good example how Satan has crept into the church and sowed a stronghold of delusion that actually distracts you from the love of God and seeing the full expression of his love towards his children that he actually heals you. There's a false deception in the church that, that the casting out of demons doesn't exist anymore. And I'll never forget getting pulled in the principal's office, getting scolded because Janique and I was doing this, and I just leaned in and said, where, where do you think all the demons went when Jesus rose again from the dead? And he couldn't answer it. Demons are still, I mean, look at the White House. 
Friend, if you don't think demons still exist, if you don't think there's still a necessity to cast out devils today in America, you're under a delusion because you're under a stronghold. That's a religious stronghold. There's the false grace stronghold. You can live any way you want. You got the grace of God. You're in. And actually, that's rooted in the, the deeds of a, the Nicolaitans. If you look that up, the Nicolaitans, he was the, uh, the, the deacon that they ordained in Acts that fell away, teaching heresy. And then there's legalism, where there's performance-based. It's how much you do for God. That depends on how much he loves you. See, that's how Satan has lied to the church for so long. And when those things set in, when those things take root, what it does is it hinders you in your faith. It hinders you from coming under the full understanding of God, of who he is and what he's done. I have a hard time believing that Jesus Christ gave his life on a cross, died a brutal death just for the powerful acts of God to stop at the first century. I just can't believe that. devil will lie and say you're the only one that's struggling with that sin you're all by yourself no one else struggles with that sin no one else has that problem that's condemnation and bondage he comes in he lies he lies what's that do creates insecurities insecurities is another stronghold that the enemy sows in a person's mind Insecure of who you are in the Lord. You know, there is a such thing as godly self-esteem. And that's just taking confidence in what God says about you. That you're a son, that you're a daughter of the living God, and that you have been born again into a kingdom. That you have been given the rights and the privileges because, because the Son has gave His life and set you free. Who the Son sets free is what? Free. This Greek word is used in this verse, and it obviously depicts a fortress. So as, as the enemy is planting all these things in your head, and you come into agreement with it, that's adding a brick to the fortress. Adding a brick to the fortress. You're going to get sick. Oh, gosh, I'm going to get sick. There's a brick to the fortress. Christ doesn't love you. Oh, man, I messed up. Christ doesn't love me. There's a brick to the fortress. And before you know, you have this fortress in your mind built up, and the enemy's just hiding behind it, still shooting darts. You guys with me? It's quiet. The weapon of truth is what pulls these things down. Pulling down is a total destruction of the fortress. So when he's like, you're going to get sick, nope. By his stripes, I am healed. Forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquity. Who heals all of your diseases. All means all in the Hebrew. All means all. You've got to come into the understanding of that. I'm never going to get free of this. No. When the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. 
arguments. It says, pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments. Here's a good one. This word arguments is also translated imaginations in the old King James. And these are the thoughts that you focus on. Here's a good example of that. Someone causes, causes an offense towards you, and you got to have a conversation. Then you start picturing how that conversation is going to go. And nobody ever pictures that conversation going great, and there's total restoration. It's just a misunderstanding. It never goes like that. It's always the worst-case scenario. And before you know it, you've meditated on this for three hours. He just stole your attention. Carnal meditation is a form of demonic meditation. When you internalize conversations, it really turns into a demonic meditation, which the enemy gets a foot in the door and begins to build a high thing. There's that fortress again, which is a lofty tower or fortress built on pride and arrogance. Because at the root of every offense is pride. At the root of every offense is pride. Well, that person made me feel this way. Me, me, me. When Jesus said, treat others better than you do, you treat yourself. Right? And that works both ways. That's why we need to cast these things down. And cast these things down, which means totally demolish internal reasonings. Remember, internalizing conversation, internal reasonings. Internal reasonings, too, can be having conversations with yourself. That's a real thing. Don't look at me like it's not. Y'all know y'all done it. I've done it. But this is how Satan takes away, takes away the attention that Jesus deserves from you. When you begin to focus all the wrong things, when you begin to look at the wrong things and think the wrong things towards those things, the thing, the thing. You know the thing, right? <laughs> it's a war against the knowledge of God. That's what it ultimately is. When he builds a stronghold that the enemy can hide behind and keep firing his fiery darts, what it is, it's a war against the knowledge of God. It's a war from you understanding what God says. Yeah, amen. It's a war from you knowing what your father really thinks about you. It's a war against you knowing that you have been bought into a kingdom. It's a war against your citizenship to the kingdom of heaven. There is a war going on in your head that you have to take dominion by the word of God against every lie of the enemy. You have to take war against this thing. Bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When we are in communion with the Lord, we understand our authority. And communion with the Lord is more than just a confession of salvation. It's more than just saying, Lord Jesus, you're my Lord. Communion is knowing the Lord. What I thought was interesting reading through the Gospels... Jesus washed everyone's feet, all 12 disciples, including Judas. But did you know Judas didn't take communion with the Lord? 
he left before he broke bread and drank the wine of the Lord. Communion with the Lord is spending time with him. It's learning to understand what his voice is like. It's knowing his likes and his dislikes. Obviously, we find that in the word. But as we read the word, it trains our spiritual senses to discern the voice of the Lord. God desires to, for you to hear his voice. For the good shepherd, right? His sheep know his voice. And they don't listen to a voice of a stranger. So when that thought comes into your head, you take it captive. Nope, that was a voice from a stranger. I'm bringing it right to the shepherd. When we have communion with the Lord, we understand our authority. And when we walk clean in the Lord, it gives us power to exercise that authority. It's one thing to know that you have authority. It's another thing to actually practice your authority. You have authority, and then you have power. You have spiritual rank over devils and demons, and you have the power to execute that authority over devils and demons. You have the authority of God's word. You have the authority of God's mark on you. You have the power of God's word, and then you have the power of God in you. See, that's where we have to begin to stand up with this. A lack of revelation of the truth will lead you to a lack of faith, which will lead you into sin. A failure to receive the truth will harden your heart to faith, which will lead you into sin. And when you are led into sin, your mind becomes a playground for the demonic. You have to take those thoughts captive. You have to understand your assignment. You have to understand who you are in the Lord. You have to understand that you are washed in the blood of Jesus. You have to understand that nothing against you can prosper because you have the living God on your side. You have to stand in agreement with these things or the devil will get on the merry-go-round of your conscience and just stay there. Stop letting the devil run like a hamster on the wheel. You take your thoughts captive by submitting it to the knowledge of God. Here's a personal one. I'm driving down Siesta Beach. Spring break. Do I need to say more? You don't think the devil was like, look to your left, look to your right? I tell him no. To look after a woman, to lust after a woman is to do the same as sleeping with a woman. I'm married, and I keep the marriage bed undefiled. My wife is more than enough. I'm in covenant with my God, and I'm in covenant with my wife. That's what you do. When the devil lies and brings a temptation to you, you grip that. You take that captive right there, and it stops there. You don't meditate on it. You don't play with it. You take it captive right then and there. You bring it to the Lord. Say, Lord, Lord. The stranger, he's talking. The stranger, he's talking. I ain't listening. You got to take it captive. And this is how you do it. In Romans 8, chapter 1. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death has no more reign over you because Jesus nailed it to the cross. You now have power and authority over sin. 
wow, I've expected a better response than that. You have the power and authority over sin because of what Jesus did on the cross. Sin is no longer your master. The devil will tempt you with sin because there's an open door. Sin, anything not of faith is sin. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And I want to tell you, when I come into the understanding of that, it has totally set me free. That means I don't got to subject my members any longer to slaves of unrighteousness, but I subject my body as a slave of righteousness to the Lord Jesus because I am the body of his bride. I'm going to be kept holy and clean and blameless for the Lord when he comes. Because the grace of God teaches you to deny all ungodliness. The grace of God doesn't just forgive you of your sin. It empowers you to overcome your sin. And I love this. Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Now I know some theologians that are sitting in this room is saying, Paul is talking about the law of Moses. Well, the law of Moses was given as a requirement to follow because sinful nature was in man. And because Jesus fulfilled the law in himself by shedding his sinless blood on the cross, it has made us free from the law. It made us free from the sin and death because of the law. Tough crowd tonight. You have to realize what Jesus did for you. The fact that he shed his blood for you. He took the worst beating that's ever known. The worst, the worst death penalty, the suffering, the hurt, the abandonment. He suffered it all that we might be free, that we would be set free and changed and transformed. That we would actually have a relationship with the Father. He did it all because of love. The love of God has set you free because of the crucifixion of Christ. And it has been enacted on those who believe because of the resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection, we have nothing. The death, burial, and resurrection. And that's why Paul adds it in these scriptures about the condemnation because he's talking about the mind in these next scriptures. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit because Christ has made you free from the law of sin and death by his crucifixion and what he did because it was the eternal purpose that God planned before the foundation of the world to reconcile a people of one nation, one tribe, one blood, one tongue back to himself as an eternal kingdom for the exact moment we're standing in right now. We're seeing a, a gathering of all history right now coming to our ultimate crescendo of the end of the age. 
No man knows the day or the hour, but they know the seasons. And friend, the fig tree has got leaves. It's budding. And I believe with my entire being that I'm going to see the coming of the Lord. And I want to be found ready. I want others to be found with he, when he comes. I want people to enjoy the benefits of his kingdom. And while we're waiting for him to come, I want to punch the devil right in the throat. And that's the assignment of the church. That's why the church is here, to gather people into the kingdom. Like good vine dressers in a vineyard, to go collect the fruit, to tend the vineyard of the earth. To strike the wolves when they come. We have to come to the understanding of that. All of that was done for us. I believe that's why there was such power at such magnitude with the first century church. is because they had such a basic understanding of the kingdom. They had such a pure understanding. They didn't have all this dispensationalisms and schisms and all this theological, you know, oh gosh, I can't even say it. That's how bad it is. They had such a pure understanding of what Jesus did for them, how he was the fulfilled Messiah to come, and how we had to deal with their sin first before he delivered the kingdom. And then as they were waiting for him to come, they went city to city and flipped it upside down. Paul knew it the most. Paul was stoned. Paul went into Ephesus and those are demonic manifestation where the whole town rioted. He knew how to take authority because he knew his target. He knew his target because he knew his identity. He knew that there was no condemnation for those who were in Christ. Paul used to be a terrorist. You might be sitting in this room and never gave your life to Jesus. Or you might think you've committed this sin that God can't forgive. But I want to tell you, our Jesus excels in a forgiven sin. He will save you. He will wash you. He will fill you with the Holy Ghost. And he will send you out into the field. Paul was a terrorist. And I believe Paul's thorn in the flesh was not his eyesight, but the memories of him persecuting Christians. But it was the grace of God that was sufficient for him to overcome that. That's why Jesus spoke it to him. He says, my grace is sufficient. In other words, my grace is enough. Paul, I've forgiven your sin. Get up. Stop wallowing in it. Get up and fight the good fight of faith. He's speaking to the American church right now. Yeah, I've seen the gross darkness. I've seen the sexual immorality that has just run rampant into the church. I've seen how people have abused my grace. But I'm forgiving your sins. If you'll believe it, come under the understanding of it. And then I'll send you out into the field to punch the devil in the throat. I like that term. If you couldn't tell. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? What God says in His Word. What are you meditating on? What are you meditating on? What are you allowing to grab your focus? That is hardening, hardening your spiritual ears and your heart to hear from the Lord. What are you allowing to steal your focus? What are you allowing to steal your decision? It could be social media. It could be pornography. It could be worry. It could be the news. What are you allowing to steal your focus? What are you allowing to take place of the voice of the Lord in your life? And it has to do with your mind. The gates of your soul is in your eyes. And what goes in your eyes? Jesus says, if, if, if darkness goes through your eyes, if your eye is darkness, your whole body is darkness. But if your eye is light, then your body will be filled with light. Stop letting the devil steal your focus. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Because... To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So those who are of the flesh cannot please God. But you are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give your mortal bodies life for the spirit of God who's in you. And we, hopefully I don't slip on that. What's Paul saying in this? What are you setting your mind on? What are you setting your mind on? And it's easy to be in this atmosphere and set your mind on godly things, but what do you set your mind on when you walk out of here? When the atmosphere isn't as thick. When you're alone in your room. When you get woke up at 3 in the morning, what are you setting your mind to? When you're driving down the road, what are you setting your mind to? When you're looking on your phone, what are you setting your mind to? Satan knows the tools and the instruments to distract you. That's why you have to exercise the dominion and the authority that God's given you through his wonderful grace to overcome him. I really hope that I'm saying this clear. <laughs> You have to come to the understanding of what Jesus did for you and who you are in Christ. Jesus saved you more than just to go to heaven. He saved you to change the culture that you're in. He saved you to save others out of that demonic culture. Because the only answer for hope for a culture that has been demonized is a church who is radically obedient to her bridegroom. That's the only hope for America. The only hope for America is Jesus. It's not Donald Trump. It's not any other politician. It's no one in Congress. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself and his church coming into an agreement with him and standing with him saying, yes, Lord, I'll take the charge. I'll take my place. 
And it starts now. If we have a supernatural grace for these next three months, I don't want to waste time. I want to get ready. I want to fast. That's not a legalistic mindset here. This is doing what God has outlined in his word for us to come into agreement with him to, for the word of the Lord to go on in this world. I want to fast. I want to pray. I want to make sure my life is clean. I want to check my own heart. I want to examine it. I even want to question my motives. I want to question my intents. Am I doing it for me or if I'm doing it for the Lord? I don't want to waste any more time while people are going to hell in, this, in the United States. And I'm going to tell you, the silent majority needs to stand up in this nation because the minority of the demonic agenda and the filth that's going on in this nation has become the loudest. But I don't believe that's the way majority of Americans feel. Because people are looking at the landscape of our country and they're like, what is going on? And God is speaking. God is using the very thing that Americans are memorized by. So captivated by movies. God's spoken three times this year in movies. Three times this year in movies. He talked about the Jesus revolution. And the church caught fire. The revival broke out. We're like, it's here. It got quiet. Then there's a revival of deliverance. A deliverance movie. People are going all over just to sit into movie theaters to get delivered. And now God's came out with the sound of freedom. Man, God's speaking to America. God is warning America. God is speaking through his prophets. He is, he is unctioning you by the spirit of God inside your being of getting ready, getting ready, keep your life clean. Because there's a moment when it really flips. There is a crescendo that's happening. We have to come into agreement with this. Colossians 3. Actually, I'm sorry. Romans 8. And this is what we really have to come into agreement with. You have to take the charge that you're going to fight. And you have to have this promise so deeply rooted in your spirit. Because, friend, I'm going to tell you, I've... I've made up my mind. I've made up my mind that no matter what happens in the United States or in the world, I'm never going to deny Jesus. I've made up my mind that I'm going to serve the Lord. If they seize my bank accounts, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to tell you, the World Economic Forum, they got a chip that they want the, the, the uh, what, what's the banks, the world banks? What is it? They want the banks to institute this little chip that you can't buy or sell unless you have this chip. You even got that imposter of a vice president just yesterday saying when we decrease the population 
Our kids will be able to drink water. Friend, they're not even hiding it. These aren't just slip-ups. These aren't, and this ain't conspiracy theories either. You can look this stuff up. Friend, you need to look at the season that we're in, and you need to make up your mind of who you're going to serve and which side you're going to be on. And I've made up my mind no matter what happens. I'm going to stand with the Lord. And here's a good promise of why. But what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how should we not with him also freely give us all things? My gosh, what a promise that our Father just gave us. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the, love, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. My God. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Set your mind on these things. Colossians chapter 3. It says, set your mind on the things above. And well, let me rephrase that. It says, if you were then raised with Christ, set, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You know, this is something that's hit me right now. How Paul always emphasized that Christ was sitting at the right hand of God. And the right hand signifies authority and power. Christ has the same authority as God the Father and authority and power because all authority and power was given to him. He said that in Matthew 28. And then Christ, then in turn, because we believed in him, and he sealed us with his own blood, has then given us that same authority and power to exercise over spiritual wickedness, to exercise divine justice over devils. Set your mind on these things. Stop putting up with the devil in your life. Set your mind on these things and not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. And I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. Remember where we started in this, about taking thoughts captive. What our main weapon is, is the word of truth. 
and all these strongholds, arguments, and any high lofty thing is exalting itself against what? The knowledge of God, our main weapon, our weapon of truth. Don't forget this. 2 Corinthians 10, 6 says, And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. What a thing to say. That's the author, that's the author that God used to write grace. That's graceful. And it has to be graceful to punish sin, to punish disobedience. The word obedience in this means attentive hearing or listen with compliant submission or agreement. And I want you to really focus on this. I'm rounding, I'm rounding third, but this, uh, this is very important. The Lord Jesus is not coming back for a rebellious and stubborn bride. He's not coming back for a bride who is laid up in sin, that's been an adulteress, sleeping around, fornicating with idols of the earth and spiritual wickedness in high places. He's not. He's coming back for one that is blameless and in complete submission to his will. And I really want you to hear that. Because Paul gave them the path through revelation to get things in order before he made his visit. And Paul had an apostolic authority over the church of Corinth. He was giving them a season to get it right, to become submissive to the will of God. Because when he came, he was going to punish those who remain disobedient. God's given us a season to get ready, to get things in order. Paul modeled Lord Jesus to the church here. The Lord disciplines the church. He first gives a word to get ready, to get it right. And those who refuse the warning will be punished. Read the letters to the church in Revelation. It says, if you don't do this thing, I will blot your name out of the book of life. said, I will blot your name out of the book of life. That dismantles that false grace message right there because he's talking to Christians. If you don't do this, I'll remove your, your, your candlestick from its place. But the Lord gives a word to get ready to get your house in order first. And then those who refuse the warning, they are punished. That's the gospel. Right now, God's given us a word to get ready. And those who come under the agreement of that word are going to be used to bring others into the kingdom. Because there is coming a time, a tipping point in this culture, because we are living in a culture that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. We are going to see the righteous judgments of God on wickedness and the earth be cleansed from this filth. This next revival and awakening, I don't think it's going to look what many of us have pictured in our minds. I think it's going to be messy. I think it's going to be like that of Exodus where God begins to pour out his judgments on the gods that Egypt was worshiping. I believe in these next days or whenever that God is going to start pouring out his judgments on the very thing that Americans are worshiping. Be 
People are being awakened already to the level of filth at its magnitude globally, and the decision is going to be made. And right now, if I could just speak on something present, it's, it's the sound of freedom. How movie theaters are turning ACs off. How they're closing things down. How they're just saying, oh yeah, we, we can't download the movie on our projector. Friend, there's a reason why Hollywood and the liberals will not, are fighting tooth and nail against this movie. Because it's a spirit of Baal. And there's going to come to a moment where the Americans and the globe come to a realization of what the global elites and the cabal and this wicked antichrist agenda has really been doing for all of these years. And this next revival is going to be a revival of deliverance. And it's going to be messy. Friend, you're going to see the Spirit of God come on people so strong and demons being exercised out of them. God is going to start realigning people's thinking. He's going to demolish strongholds in your mind because of the word of the Lord is not just going to be preached, but it's going to be demonstrated. We have to make up our mind where we will be recorded in the internal books after we stand before God. Because this is the truth of it. At the end of your life, you're going to stand before a holy God. And the books are going to be opened. And an account of your life is going to be read out. Where do you want to stand in that in these last days? Where do you want to stand in that in these last days? I just want to do my part. I want to stand under the word of the Lord, coming to the agreement of the Lord. I'm in covenant with Jesus. I'm his bride. He's a part of his bride. And I want to be submissive. I want to be obedient. I don't want to be hard-hearted. I don't want to be stubborn. But I want to come into an agreement with my bridegroom and stand where he's allowed me to stand with him partner with him and execute divine justice on devils. You have to make up your mind. Those on the live stream, you got to make up your mind. Like Joshua said, choose this day of who you are going to serve. Choose this day if you're going to really live for Jesus or not. You're at a divine moment. You're at a divine crossroads. Pastors said it so many times. We're, at, we're coming to a Mount Carmel experience where the spirit of Elijah is going to come onto this nation. And the people of this nation are going to see wide open. And they're going to have to choose. And we're going to have to choose. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord.
Let's give Jesus some praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you have created us for this exact moment. That you have allowed us to partner with you, to stand with you, to execute divine justice on devils. <laughs> All right, you may be seated. Thank you, guys. You're making me blush. That was a joke. Uh, Kathy and Mark, if you get uh, come up here and give announcements and um, give the offering, and then I'll give a last word of exhortation. Okay, we have a few announcements here. Um, this Friday night, or next Friday night, July 21st at 7 p.m. is Vision Night. If you're new to Victory and you want to learn about how the Lord brought Victory into being, what we're doing now, and what the vision is for the future, Pastor Brian and Bren share during this time, and they'll um, tell you about the journey that they've been on with Victory. And it's, it's an intimate time, you know, a smaller group of people, and, and they'll be sharing all about victory. And that is this Friday night, the 21st at 7 p.m. And please uh, register on the website or on the app, and then let us know if you need child care for that night. Yes. Yeah, it'll be in the Family Life Center. Yeah. So on Sunday, August 13th from 3 to 7 p.m., there's a back-to-school party and a parent's day out. And that's for nursery, preschool, and elementary-age children. And while the kids are having fun together, the parents can get together and connect and, and uh, maybe go to dinner and have some fellowship and build relationships within our Victory family. And, or have some quiet time for themselves. But while the kids are having fun, the parents will have a time to themselves. And that, again, is Sunday, August 13th, 3 to 7 p.m. And please register on the app or the website for that as well because we need a head count. And then July 23rd to 29th is our Victory Fast. Yay! Yay. July 23rd to the 29th. And we'll have prayer each evening during the fast at 6.30 p.m. And it's going to be at the new offices and prayer center. Yeah, and, and that address is 5250 17th Street, Suite 115. And Tuesday night prayer this week will be at the new offices. So, oh, Tuesday night. It says, oh, this week, that week, not this week. That, oh, okay, got it. <laughs> Sorry. It said this week, so I thought, oh, we're going to have it there this week. No, during the Tuesday night prayer, during the fast, we'll be at the new offices and prayer center. Okay, and that's it. Okay, at this time, I'd like the ushers to get the offering envelopes ready. Anyone in the, out there that needs an offering envelope, raise your hands. The ushers will bring them to you. 
I'm going to read you one scripture. You're lucky because it's only one. Concerning giving, and I want you to think about it. You know, if you don't know why you're giving, if you don't have any scriptural basis for it, you're not going to be very thorough in your giving. You know, the Lord wants us to have understanding. He wants to know, us to know why we do things. So I'm going to read one verse. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It says, Let each one give thoughtfully. This is from the Amplified. So it's got a few extra words in there for you. That's why I only read one scripture. Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose just as he has decided within his own heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and he delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. So God wants us to know, wants us to give thoughtfully and with purpose. So what's that all about? Why do you think you should give? What's the purpose behind it? God wants you to be able to contribute to his kingdom. And he wants you to have the understanding that what you sow into, whatever ministry it might be, you also partake of the rewards of that. So you want to know, you want to think about it, and you want to know and understand that whatever you're sowing your seed, whatever you're planting into is good soil because you want to determine what kind of rewards you're going to be participating in. So that's how you give thoughtfully and carefully. And then you can give with a cheerful heart because you have the understanding of why you're doing it. Okay? And the sermon one. So I'm just going to pray, and then the ushers get ready, and we're going to take the offering. I'd also like to remind our online viewers, you can give at victoryfla.com, and we really appreciate, you know, in this season with our wonderful Bidenomics. Money might be a little tighter, and we really appreciate the generosity of those that give into this ministry. And you can give knowing that you're sowing into that good soil. So tonight I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we're going to take the offering. So Father, we thank you tonight that you have given us the opportunity to sow into good soil, Lord. Lord, we sow into the things that reap eternal rewards. We thank you that we can participate in the rewards of this ministry. In Jesus' name.
So ushers, pass the baskets, please. Thank you. 